Sales Tuners, Episode 55, Mike Chudy, Director of Sales at John Henry Foster. When you're negotiating, you have to set what, what's called your BATNA, B-A-T-N-A, which is your best alternative to negotiated agreement. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Shannon Alder, who said, carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they share about you. Today, I'm joined by Mike Chudy, Director of Sales at John Henry Foster, a pneumatic and hydraulic equipment distributor. In what might seem odd in today's world, Mike has been with his company his entire 18-year career and recently saw a big gap in basic sales training for his new reps, which led him to start an internal sales academy. Mike places a lot of value on health and fitness so that he can keep up with his kids and also told me he was a high jumper in college with a personal best six foot 10 inches. The sheer thought of someone jumping over a person nearly a foot taller than me, well, it just seems crazy. Before we dive in, I'm really excited to finally announce my partnership with Pipedrive. I've been using Pipedrive as my CRM for almost five years. As soon as you see it, you'll know why. Pipedrive was built to give you unmatched visibility into your pipeline so you can stay focused on the only thing you can control in sales, the actions that push deals to close. Add in the timely notifications that reduce the likelihood of human error and ensure no deal falls through the cracks. To check it out for 30 days completely free, go to salestuners.com slash pipedrive. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 55. But now let's get to the conversation where Mike talks about what leaving a legacy means to him. As far as motivation goes, um, we all want to leave a legacy. And it seems the older I get, the more I, I reflect on how I can help others around me. I constantly am looking for ways to improve. I I love it when others are helping me. And so just want to not miss the, the, the deeper point that we should all be here and and help each other out. Well, I think that's fantastic. And I think that uh, there's gonna be a lot of people out there get some wisdom out of this. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Mike, as you know, in in, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. Uh, But I just want to start, tell me about your sales process today. Uh, What is John Henry Foster? And and, and why does a typical customer buy from you? John Henry Foster is historically what we call a fluid power distributor. So our Our mainstay is pneumatic and hydraulic equipment. But what John Henry Foster is today is really an automation solutions provider. We've expanded our capabilities to match what our customers require. So that has anything to do with, um, you know, automating a, a manufacturing line, retooling an old machine to make it faster, more reliable, and ultimately more productive for their facility. Um, we do turnkey compressed air system and design, which the compressor is ultimately uh, part of the utility for these manufacturing plants. And then um, 
we have an engineering service team that comes in and um, can either build new equipment or again refurbish old equipment to to bring it up to standards and and help our U.S. manufacturers become more profitable and ultimately uh, stay ahead of the curve. You haven't always been the guy you are today. You know the person looking to leave a legacy. Talk to you know take me way back. How did you even get into sales? Well, that's an easy answer. Both my parents were in sales, so I. Okay. Uh, <laughs> It was in the family. My dad sold uh, risk management insurance to Fortune 100 companies. So he, he had a great year if he had two sales per year. Um, you know, it was highly relational, complex, strategic type selling. I was always enamored with how efficient and how easy he made it look. And I'm sure he didn't let me in a lot on on all the, the heartache and the stress that the job brought. But um, so I had that side. And then my mom sold uh, for the National Federation of Independent Business. So she was calling on small businesses, working for the largest lobbyist for small business. And so she would, she would literally drive around and see 20, 30 companies per day asking for, for money for these companies to join the lobbyist agency for the good of small business. And so she was talking to owners every single day of these small companies. And what I was amazed with her is she could open any door. She got so creative in how she would talk to a gatekeeper on the phone, how she could call an owner directly and get an appointment. So that really, you know, I saw so so many different sides of the sales process from them. Um, when I went to school, I, I, I knew that was where I was going to end up. You know, I've had several guests on the show tell me that, you know, one of their parents uh, were in sales, but to have both of your parents be in sales, I think that's the first time I've heard that for sure. And, and, and the dichotomy between the two of them, you know, your dad, two sales a year was fantastic. It was a great year. And your mom's talking to 30 people a day. I mean, that's just absolutely crazy. I love, I love hearing that. So Mike, we connected uh, because you actually reached out to me, talking to me about having just started a sales academy inside your company. And while I love that, I don't see too many companies doing that today. So tell me more about that. What were you trying to do besides put guys like me out of business? Well, we, we've we had a, an influx of, of new salespeople. And so um, we knew there was a gap in training. So we, we offer lots of product training, um, training that's specific to our industry. Basically, it's a lot of engineering training. And and so what I felt we were missing and what I never had when I was a new guy was someone actually teaching the, the tactical um, salesmanship aspect of the job. And so it was something where uh, uh, myself and, and Brent Darnell, one of our other sales leaders, we, we got together and, and we decided, hey, you know what, we need to dedicate some time to, to help all of these new guys out. That's fantastic. And so how's it going? I mean, what, tell me about some of the stuff that you've done that you've implemented and it's work. It's gone great. It's been just over a year. Um, what we've done is we started everyone on, on kind of the same level. And we said, you know what, there's a certain, uh, amount of skills that we want you to have. And as, as some of these guys have progressed through and, and I'll, and I'll tell you some, some people in our sales Academy started, basically they were with our company for three weeks. And some people had been in the company for four years and actually been out selling. So we had a couple of different levels of skill, right, that we had to to uh, determine the best way to teach. So what, what we did was we, we actually broke it down to uh, a different curriculum, sales skills one and sales skills two. 
because some of these guys did have a, a little bit more experience. Um, and, and what we've found is even though they'd been out in the field for two or three years, they still enjoyed hearing quote unquote, the basics and, and were really able to evaluate their own sales, um, skills and their sales process to understand, Hey, am I even doing this the, the right way? So overall through, through this past year, um, we've been able to to teach a lot of basic stuff to start with i mean we talked about how do you shake someone's hand how do you how do you how do you introduce yourself what's your elevator pitch um we've practiced those kind of things things like where do you sit at a boardroom if five people walk in how do you position yourself non-verbally and what message are you sending so those are the kind of things that really, they don't teach you that anywhere. And unless your parents taught you or you, you've learned it on the job, maybe as, as a younger person, there, there were some real gaps there. And I, I trust me, I learned it the hard way. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean I, I'm sitting here thinking if I walk into a boardroom, I just sit at the head of the table, right? <laughs> well, that's one message you could definitely <laughs> send for sure. I want to make sure that they know who's in charge. No, I, I say that in jest, but, but you're right. You know, so I work with a lot of companies, especially, specifically in the tech space, and they got all kinds of new reps coming in and they're taught products, features, benefits, all of that kind of stuff, but they're never actually taught how to sell. And it just absolutely blows my mind. So what are some of the things that you're really making sure that you drive home uh, that from, from your learnings? So, you know, it's interesting, but I felt like a few years ago, we kind of forgot about the customer. We got pretty internally focused because the entire company, we were going through a whole transition on our ERP software. And so when when you're changing, we had, we had a legacy software system that was 17 years old. So you can imagine every sales order, every purchase order, you know, everything our company did ran through this software. And so when you go to change that, the amount of effort it takes for everybody top to bottom in the company to make this go successfully I think we took our eye off the ball in regards to understanding and listening to our customers. So part of this sales academy is saying, okay, customer is the reason we're we're in existence. How do we ensure that with every decision that we make that the customer's viewpoint is is being seen? And so that's that's kind of the key focus. And then we break everything down from there. So I, I teach a lot on the disc profile. So I'm sure you're familiar with disc. Oh yeah. But I make everyone who comes through Sales Academy take the DISC profile. So first you have to understand yourself and your own profile. And then you can learn about, you know, we go through, for instance, a manufacturing plant. We go through the different positions that manufacturers hold. So you have your C-suite executive team. You've got your plant manager, your plant engineer, your maintenance manager, your purchasing manager. And we go, we, we write them out on the whiteboard and we say, okay, if we're going to generalize, what type of personality would a plant manager have? If we're going to generalize, what kind of personality would a maintenance technician have? And so we write all that out. And then we say, okay, when you're speaking to this person or delivering a proposal to this person, how do you tailor your message so that you're, you're tailoring your message to where they can understand and interpret what you're trying to say the best? Tell me why this beats the one size fits all, you know, just kind of pitch method. I mean, I can talk for a long time on that, but in our business, we're selling highly technical, typically highly technical products or solutions. Sometimes that can, and, and you could you could equate this to software, you could equate this to a lot of different industries, right? But ultimately, 
if you're speaking to somebody who's very non-technical, the, the reasons they're interested in purchasing your product are very different than if they were technical. And if you're not m- matching your message to how they buy, you're, you're kind of missing the point okay. and basically wasting yours and their time. So how do you, I, I, I get where you're going with that. How do you start to break that down, especially for somebody who doesn't have, you know, the, the expertise that you do, because you've been doing this for a long time. So how are you breaking that down and showing your team, you know, here's the way, you know, here's the step-by-step role of how you do this. So ultimately understanding the, the different personality traits, right? We have our, our natural tendencies and we have our practiced or our learned traits. And so I have to teach, teach our guys um, if, if your trait is a dominant personality trait, you, you, and you're talking to somebody who is not dominant at all, you have to scale back how you speak, how you stand to ensure that you don't have them put up their, their, their guard, so to speak, and not even listen to the words that you say, because they're so put off by how you're talking and standing. So tactically speaking, let's go back to proposals. Um, when you're talking to call it the, the CEO mentality or the, the leader, the dominant leader, they don't want a 10 page proposal. They want an executive summary with about five or six bullet points and a price at the bottom. Tell them what they need to know very quickly and succinctly and let them move on to make their decision. The other hard part of this is that most companies make decisions, not just one person. If the smaller the company, the easier it gets. But when you're in these large organizations, they make decisions in teams. So now this is where team selling comes in. We do a lot of team selling at John Henry Foster. So the team aspect is you have to truly understand who is on the team, who is going to be in this decision, and make sure that you touch each, each of those people in a way that they all can come together and speak the same language. So it, it becomes very, uh, it, it is time consuming, it is complex, but if you don't do it that way, you're not going to have a positive outcome at the end. I know a lot of my guests, Mike, are, are you know, uh, software companies and, and technology companies and things like that. They're doing a lot of their sales over the phone. How does this apply in that? Because you, you know, you're talking about going into plants and, and speaking with the plant manager. What about over the phone? How does it apply there? Well, that, that, that adds a level of complexity, right? Because you don't, you don't get the nonverbal uh, communication that you get face-to-face. But what I tell, tell everyone is the more you prepare on the front end, the, the better you're going to perform when it, when it matters. And this is true whether you're face-to-face or on the phone. So um, I'll kind of take it back a step before I answer your question. But prospecting and understanding who you're speaking to before you actually have the conversation is key. So I'm a big proponent of using LinkedIn. Um, there's lots of other tools online that you can do to, to understand who you're speaking to before you actually speak to them. And um, uh, again, if you want to go to generalizations, depending upon, so in the software world, let's say they're calling on a, a IT director, right? You can come up with some general personality traits of that an IT director may hold. And again, that's kind of a double-edged sword because you could <laughs> you could totally get that wrong. But if you know nothing about the person and you know what their title is, you can hopefully get a general idea of how to communicate with them before you actually pick up the phone. So let's talk about if you're on the phone with someone 
you have to be prepared with a certain number of questions that you can ask that you know can lead to an answer that will take you to another good question. So the this gets very difficult to not feel scripted, so it takes practice. But if you haven't written out, I'll call it the decision tree or the matrix of the questions that you can ask, and if they answer, you know, X, then you can ask another question, or if they answer Y, then you go to question B, then um, I, I think you've done yourself a disservice because you're just, you, you've got to be prepared to to know which way you're going to lead them. Because again, this is part of your process, right? If you're, it depends upon what you're selling, but if you know you're calling to sell product X, then you understand product X um, meets, meets this, this, and this so that you can help the company become you know, uh, more productive in their environment or that there's an ROI play, um, for energy savings. There's lots of different reasons you would buy this product, but you have to understand, Hey, I have a, I have a solution. I think they have a problem. How are we going to match the two up? So they, they, they actually see it too. It's, uh, this is so true. Uh, I think one of the most frustrating things that I see in the work that I do is reps that just, they think they can wing it right? They've been in the business long enough. They think I'm good. I'm just going to wing it. And then I see the ones who sit right next to them who have a meticulous outline of what they're going to do, where they're going to take the customer and all that kind of stuff. And they beat them every single day. And then other rep wonders like what just happened? So Mike, I know one of the things that you know has led to your success, or at least is what you've told me is, is you kind of become a master at positioning yourself, you know, whether that be within the industry against your competition. Talk to me more about that. What is the, what are you doing to, uh, in order to do that? Early in my career, I was, I was selling products. I was selling components. I was selling pieces to, um, the puzzle, but what my mind had not grasped was what does the entire puzzle look like? So I went to a training, um, that taught positioning and it was related to, um, compressed air. So it was a class that Ingersoll Rand taught and it really helped me understand the bigger picture and that I had been really missing missing out on a lot of opportunity. And so what I did was I, I literally struggled for six months trying to learn this new way of selling. And I gave up a lot of commission on sales that I lost basis was trying to learn a new way. But after it clicked, my sales took off. So what I had learned was how do I position myself, number one, as the expert? How do I position myself and my company against the competition? And how do I position myself in regards to becoming a, more of a consultant to the customer to where when they had a question or needed an answer, they they called me as a partner. They didn't call me as as quote unquote a sales guy anymore. And so when, when I started to do that, um, that, that really set me off. And so what I try to teach now in sales positioning is, is all of those types of things. I mean, we, we talk about competition all the time, right? It doesn't matter what industry you're in, uh, anywhere, but it's really easy to look at a, a matrix of products and say, okay, yeah, they have this feature and they have this feature and they have this feature. They all look the same. So why, why would I choose one over the other? Is it the cheapest price? Well, ho hopefully not. If you, if you do your job on the front end, price should hopefully not, not nearly matter as much as most of the salespeople think it should.
I totally agree with that. I think if price is rarely, very, 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 very rarely the actual reason why you lose a deal, I totally agree with it. So, so, and, and, and talk about positioning. Positioning in my mind is you truly have to understand the problem the customer is trying to solve. And, and we used to say, when you talk to the customer about a specific problem, chances are they don't even understand the root cause. They're talking more about the symptoms of the problem. So if you can find the root cause and then figure out the solution to fix it. Now, I'm going to preface this also. You have to be talking to the person high enough in the organization that has the power to authorize someone going after the true root problem. It, you, you're going to win almost every single time and you're going to be more profitable in how you win. So again, it takes a ton of work on the front end, a ton of preparation, understanding what solutions you have to offer and then positioning them within the customer. And it's a win-win. Okay. You just said three things there that I, I get it, but I'm, I got to figure out how we're doing this. So you want to position yourself as a go-to, re, go-to resource. You want to get to the root problem and not just the symptoms that you're going to let the person, let the customer tell you, but, and you want to be high enough in the organization that they can actually, that's all fine and good. How in the world are you doing that? Here's the challenge with our company. We sell lots of different types of products. So I'm going to tell you, you have to tell me what you're going to focus on. Tell me one specific problem that you're going to solve for a customer as a new sales guy. And so he tells me the problem he's going to solve. And I say, great, who has the authority to solve it? And he's going to tell me the plant manager has the authority. Okay, great. So your job is to get an appointment with the plant manager and have one item on the agenda. And so, you know, for a newer salesperson, number one, it's hard to get an appointment with the top person at a facility. So it takes a lot of preparation. When you call and you try to get an appointment with someone that you want to see. If you have their work phone, I don't leave voicemails on work lines. I will call 50 times until they pick up the phone. Now, that's with a work line, and you kind of pray to God they don't have caller ID 50 times. But at the same time, at least they know you're persistent. If you have a cell phone number and you get their voicemail, I leave a message. So that's kind of my, my rule on calling when, and, and when they don't pick up. If they do pick up, uh, well, let's back up a little bit. When do you call? So I guess it depends upon who you're calling. But in a manufacturing setting, usually the leaders in, in the organization get there early and work through lunch. It's just kind of the fact. So you call early, you call over lunch, and you can even call late because a lot of times they're staying late. And then as far as when you actually get them on the phone, you better be prepared with what you're going to say. You better understand what they do. So in other words, you know, I had a salesperson that was calling me the other day for some some automation on, on lead gen. They didn't know what my company did. Hmm. So when they asked me some questions, tell me about XYZ in your company, I, I was already ready to hang up the phone because they didn't even understand my business. How can they help me out? Right. So you have to know. But they can, they can, they can help anybody, Mike. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I mean, honestly, it, it, it sounds easy. Prepare for your phone call. But you know what? It takes time. And so if you don't put in the time to figure out what do they do, tell me, you know, to understand 
what problems they they most likely have that you think you have a solution for and try to find some common ground so that when you call you can utilize that as a starting point Mike, so you've been you've been doing this obviously a long time, right? Eighteen years, all at the same company. I want to talk about that in a minute. But what's the you know? Yeah, now you're doing the sales training academy inside your own company. What's the biggest thing that you're still seeing your reps mess up or or screw up? I'll call it the abundance mindset. Oh so, wow! Okay. <laughs> I I think it's very easy to not see all of the potential that lies right in front of you. And, and sometimes that might be on a specific project where you, you solve a customer's problem, but you haven't effectively, haven't effectively sold your value. So you, you leave money on the table where, you, you know, you might have gotten the customer out of a huge jam. They might have had budget available. And yet you, you, you thought you had to come in with a discounted price because that's just what you've done the last project. Now, Mike, you've put together a lot of curriculum for this training program that you have there internally. Uh, one of the modules I understand is around negotiation. Can you talk more about that? What is it that you're doing uh, from to, to teach negotiation skills? Negotiation is kind of interweaved into a lot of what we teach. And again, it goes back to preparation. So we're always trying to get to the win-win. And in doing so, we're trying to create as much value in the customer's mind for what we're offering, whether it's parts, uh, service or, uh, a complete, um, solution and, and could be, you know, manufactured solution. It could be automation, could be just programming to upgrade a machine. So it could be a lot of those factors, but ultimately it comes down to leverage. And so, um, trying to teach our, our salesmen about how do they, how do they create value in the customer's mind? And then how do they, uh, make it such that, they have the most leverage when they come to sit down at the table and discuss what it's going to take to get the deal done. Talk more about that. My, you know, my, in my head, I'm thinking, well, the customer is the one that has the money. The customer is the one who's going to decide who they buy from and where. So they kind of control, you know, the process from that end. So how do you, how do you get that leverage back? These are all deal specific, right? So let's just imagine a couple of different scenarios. So let's imagine there's a, a company who's growing leaps and bounds and they know they have to automate certain aspects of their business, whether it's, I mean, it could be software, it could be manufacturing and, and equipment. Um, the fact that their their sales are outgrowing their capacity, um, then if you have the ability to help them achieve their goals, you kind of gain that leverage. So first of all, you have to understand where you sit in in the uh, the project that you're working on. In a lot of cases, let's just imagine you're buying a car. I mean, in this day and age with literally millions of cars sitting on parking lots, you as the consumer have more leverage than even you think when you show up to, to try to buy a car. Now, if you're trying to buy a, you know, a, a customized classic car, supply and demand take over and, and you don't have nearly as much leverage. But if you're trying to buy a, a Toyota Camry, you certainly have a lot more leverage than you think. That's an interesting analogy, how you brought that into the cars. The last car that I bought and I, and I leased it was, you know, a Lexus IS 350. I've owned this car for a long time, but I did the entire negotiation for that car over email. I told the guys I would not even talk to them in person or on the phone until we had a, fair, a firm price uh, on email. And you're right. Like I didn't need the car. I wanted the car. 
but I didn't need the mm-hmm. car. And it was one of their stock cars they had on the on the lot, and they wanted to move it. And so they were very uh, apt to do that. And so they lost a lot of their leverage. So I, I like that analogy. Now, uh, you also, Mike, work with startups. You do some some startup advising on the technology side. What are you seeing from that perspective as they're bringing new products to life and into the world, what they need from a sales perspective? A lot of startups are trying to do is is uh, go to investors and raise money. So a lot of the negotiation help that, that I provide is even when they sit down at the table, I mean, think it's think it's like Shark Tank where they're trying to maintain the highest valuation they can for their company, maintain the most equity that they can they can hold on to yet still achieve the results of, of gaining that investor's money so that they can scale and grow as fast as possible. So we talk about, again, we talk about leverage. We talk about how um, they need to really, I mean, you'll, you'll see it a lot even in Shark Tank where they'll talk about the market size or the market opportunity. So not only is a startup trying to sell themselves, they're trying to sell the marketplace as a whole and how they fit into it and how the growth path for their company and ultimately their investors' money can can do that hockey stick and, and skyrocket up. I've kind of heard that be talked about as like the painting a better vision of the future that just happens to be yours and and being able to sell that to investors. And it's totally, I use that word intentionally, it is totally a sale. When you're negotiating, you have to set what what's called your BATNA, B-A-T-N-A, which is your best alternative to negotiated agreement. And that's essentially your walkaway price. So um, when you sit down at the negotiation table, you want to have that done well in advance. And then once you know what your walkaway is, what, you, what your, you know, the number is that you're not going to go below in your mind, um, then you can start to frame your negotiation around that. So, of course, you'd like to come in as high as possible, and your customer is going to try to throw what we call an anchor out as low as possible. And the win-win is coming to a compromise to where um, you know everybody can can walk away and and feel like like they accomplished what they wanted to. So that batna or that that walk away price is key to setting your strategy. Mike, have you uh, read the book Never Split the Difference? No, I haven't read that one. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. it. You know, it, it talks just—it's all about negotiation. It's the best book on negotiation that I've ever read. But one of the things that he talks about, you know, in, in this concept of never split the difference, you know, a lot of people will say, "Well, here's my big high number, and the customer's going to come in with their low low number, and we're going to meet somewhere in the middle, and we're good." And he said, "That's just—it's a, a terrible way to think about negotiation." What happens is, let's say you're getting dressed, and you use shoes as an analogy. Well, yeah, you've got two shoes, but one of them's brown, one of them's black because you. You met in the middle. It was just kind of funny that, that they do that. Now, it, what you're talking about here is, you know, definitely just knowing what your walk away number is. You're not saying you necessarily have to get right in the middle. It's just like I won't go lower than this. So once we do, I'm out. Absolutely no. I I, I a, a, a thousand percent agree. You don't want to split the difference. As a matter of fact, I mean, if you've done your job on the front end, positioning your product and yourself well, I, I don't feel you need to come off your number at all. And again, that goes back to leverage. So I've done a, a, a million dollar plus deal where, you know, I, I was trying to negotiate or they were trying to negotiate with me. And I, I held the line because I understood I had the leverage. I had the right product fit for what they needed. And the only thing they were trying to do was just get a couple of points off of my price just so that they could cross off their line that, yes, we negotiated this deal. 
Mike, I got to take a quick break so we can say thank you to our sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And Sales Tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales Tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Mike, are you ready for the money round? Let's go. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Understanding the total financial impact that a purchase that a business makes has on their organization. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Focus on the highest recurring revenue product that I could find. Two-part question here for you, Mike. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I hate to lose. If I've done the preparation and I've put everything I have into it, I always expect to win. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? The book I've been giving out the most lately is called Predictably Irrational by Dana Reilly. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Mike's suggestion of Predictably Irrational for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Mike, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? Just recently visited a couple of national parks. It was my first time. So I was absolutely awestruck by the, the beauty of Arches National Park and Canyonlands National Park. So I definitely want to visit more national parks. What's the biggest piece of advice, Mike, that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Figure out what your limiting beliefs are and then work to change them. I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Mike. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today? Sure. On uh, Twitter, I'm at Mike Chudy, M-I-K-E-C-H-U-D-Y on LinkedIn. And then also they could feel free to email me with questions directly. And um, you put my email in the show notes. You got it. Mike, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's been fun. Thank you. Despite trying to put sales trainers like me out of business, I really enjoyed my conversation with Mike. In all seriousness, though, the fact that he's built out a full sales academy inside of the organization and made it a requirement for all sales reps to attend is a testament to his desire to see people reach their fullest potential. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, learn to position yourself. Rather than selling pieces of the puzzle, focus on what the entire puzzle should look like. Doing this helps you become seen as an expert in your field and one that can be a resource or even a consultant to your prospect, so they call you when they have questions. If you do this successfully, price will rarely be an issue. Number two, get to the root cause. Let's be honest, prospects lie to us pretty much all the time. Sometimes it's deliberate, but other times they just don't know. Instead of trying to sell to the symptoms or indicators of pain, dig deeper to figure out the root cause of the issue they're experiencing. This may mean you need to be higher in the organization, talking to someone who actually gets the bigger picture. And number three, know your walkaway point. When entering a negotiation, it's critical you know your BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. 
Once you know the limit, you're able to frame the conversation and not be susceptible to low anchors your prospect is likely to throw out. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me, at SalesTuners, or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right, I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. And they stay there. If you're bald, what color of hair do they list on your driver's license?